From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. It must be spring because the daffodils are blooming. I'm Bill Curtis, and here's your host, a man who thought he'd be tending to an energy-efficient garden by planting fluorescent bulbs last fall. It's Peter Sagan. Thank you, Bill. It's spring at last, and this year, while others are breaking out their seersucker suits and floppy sun hats, we're going through a more difficult readjustment, like a bear coming out of hibernation. I hate being awakened before I've finished burning up my reserves of stored fat. So while we blink our eyes and stretch our creaky limbs, we thought we'd review some of the great things that happened over the winter. For example, in December of last year, we were joined live on stage by Bashir and Sultan Salahuddin, creators and stars of the Chicago set comedy Southside. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So, uh, let's start by talking about your background. You guys grew up on the South Side, right? Yes, we grew up on the South Side of Chicago uh, in Gresham. and uh, one person, Woo! thank you. Yeah. One guy up there's like, that's right, Gresham! <laughs> so Bashir, you went, you went 80s for college, and you got into comedy writing, you wrote for Jimmy Fallon, right? Wrote for Jimmy, we actually got there before the show even started, and everybody's like, oh, we have no idea what's gonna happen, and we looked up a couple years later, we had some Emmy nominations, we were writing for Uh-oh. President Obama. Oh yeah, I heard that, the, yeah, you, that awesome. famous appearance of President Obama Slow on Jam Slow Jam, Jam News. News. You guys right. wrote that. Yeah, we did, and in fact, here's something, I wrote the first pass, and I've never told anybody that, but I'm, I'm in a bragging kind of mode right now. Do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. That's right. That's right. And, uh, and you know, we, we got to meet the, the president, and he couldn't have been more nice, and he really how, wanted to have a good time. How much did he put in his own stuff? Like, did he improvise? I mean, he, you know, he's a natural. There, there are detractors who would say, oh, Obama's a ham. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, like you, so... Like you just said. <laughs> Sultan, so he's out there. Coming in hot, y'all. So, so, so I'm going to catch up with Sultan. So yeah. Bashir is out there. He's doing comedy writing. What are you doing at this time? I was doing stand-up comedy in the Midwest for a while. I was cracking jokes and making people laugh and busting heads. And, <laughs> but, I, you know, I went to college, had a couple of kids, did, you know, did the normal domestic stuff. And then I decided to uh, start writing at the urge of my brother and uh, yeah. pinned the show Southside. So wait a minute. So you're the guy, Sultan, who came up with the idea for the show? Boom. Really? <laughs> Since we're bragging. Yeah. Now there's a look for radio audience. It's not the only benefit. one that's cool. There's a look in Bashir's face, right? This just reminds me of back when I was inventing the iPhone. <laughs> uh, the, sh- the show is about two guys, mm-hmm. one of whom you play Sultan, mm-hmm. yeah. who work for a rent-to-own company. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Spending a lot of time, and they got like side hustles upon side hustles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Bashir, you play a Chicago cop. I do. Who is yeah. not the best cop. There's a lot of things about the show that I want to talk to you guys about, but one of them is its tone, and I was watching mm-hmm. it, because all this stuff happens, mm-hmm. and it just gets crazier and crazier and yeah. crazier as the show goes on until stuff is happening like, what? And I was like, this is like Seinfeld. And, High praise. Thank well, you. All right. And I Thank actually, because you. you know, it's, it's, you heard it here first, Paul. Little, little Seinfeld, Seinfeld sauce for you. In the classic Seinfeld episodes, somebody would do something small and they'd get dumb about it, and right. they would just increase yeah. in dumbness until the old snowball effect. Right. Yeah. And 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 I actually heard that you guys actually had that in mind when you created the show that you wanted to be like a Seinfeld for the South Side. Is that right? Um, you know, we definitely wanted something that moved the way Seinfeld moved in terms of being funny. I think sometimes when you deal with, with content, especially black content. 
um, there's always this impetus and this need to put something deep into it. As if yeah. there's like, and I don't mean deep as in our show doesn't have meaning, but our show doesn't need you to have characters prove they're from the South Side because they cry. Right. right. Because they're running from bullets. You know, we don't have very special episodes where I grab and go, hey, brother, what's going on? <laughs> and also, I, as an actor, am not qualified. Do he that cares. level of work. He really cares. Yeah, exactly. So we said, no, we want something. We want people all over the world, and especially on yeah. the South Side, to come home and feel lifted up and, to, you know, to let that ebullient spirit of the show really pervade every morsel and ounce of who they are as a person. And then tell other people about it so they watch, much like we're doing right now. Right. <laughs> I understand. A boolean. A boolean. And I think, and I think that's, that's what, the word. By the way, uh, he debt me $5. I wouldn't use that word. <laughs> Aren't people finding it more now mm -hmm. in this, like, halfway through the second season? Yeah, they're finding it more now because they can binge it. What I love is that our show is, is so joke-dense that folks kind of have to watch it like two or three times yeah. to yep. get everything. And then we always try to play jokes in the background. Like, there's, yeah. there's this one scene where the... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> See, <laughs> that's the effect Southside has on I you. I mean... No, but there's... I love it. Let's go. Let's yeah. talk about it. Come on. It's I love it. it. She can't even get it out. Police office, and, uh, and they're, like, saying, here's what we need to do today. It's, like, gang day or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> gang week. Yeah. Gang week, yeah. And they're like, oh, no, like, we're scared of gangs or whatever. And then, um, <laughs> but on the whiteboard in the background, there's a list of, like, the other stuff that they're listing. And yeah. it's one, one item on the list is firemen that we hate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chicago. She gets an A+. Plus. Yeah, she gets an A+. Plus. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, Bashir and Sultan, <laughs> it is a real joy to meet you in person. Thanks, Thanks for having us. This is Thank great. you. We have invited you here today. Thanks for coming out. <laughs> We've invited you here to play Love a game it. we're calling... Welcome to the real South Side. So, yeah. if you start, mm. say, at the corner of 75th and Ashland, yep. and you head south, and you keep heading south, uh -huh. you will eventually reach the southest of sides, that is Antarctica. So we're going to ask you three questions about Antarctica. Get okay. two right. You want a prize? Whatever. All right. Voice of their choice in their voicemail. He's ready. Bill Hora, Bashir, and Sultan playing for it. Man, let's do this. Jen Freitag of Chicago, Illinois. All right. All right. Hey, Jen. Hi, Jen. Here is your first question. The first person to reach the South Pole was the Norwegian explorer Roald Amundsen in 1911. And the tent he set up when he got there has been designated as an official world historic site, even though what? A, nobody has any idea where it is. B, it melted and dissolved into the ocean seven years ago. Mm. Or C, it is the place where Amundsen's group ate their weakest member. <laughs> I think it's A. I'm going to um, support you, and we're going to vote for Aww. A. You're right. That's what it was. Nobody has any idea where it is. Just so you they, know, I read about this before we came. They yeah. th they oh, you did your research. They think yep. it's like 50 feet beneath the current surface of the ice, maybe over there that way. They don't really know. All right. There it is. Next question. By the time Richard Byrd led his 1928 expedition mm -hmm. to the South Pole, Antarctica. The famous 28 expedition. That one. You know that, right? Yep. Who doesn't? Where that? <laughs> I got a Richard Bird shirt at home. Yeah. <laughs> when he led his expedition there in 1928, Antarctica had developed such a reputation for driving men insane in the mm. wild, cold wastes mm -hmm. that he brought along what on the trip? A, 12 straitjackets. B, a couch so he could give his men therapy if needed. Mm -hmm. Or C, three seasonal affective disorder lamps. Um. What do you think? You said you're going to go, should we go ahead? I, I got to go with Stray Jacks. Hey. I'll support you. Let's go. You're ahead. right. It was Stray Jacks. Yeah. I don't know. 
My mom's going to be so proud. We'll see if we can make her proud. Yeah. Last question. <laughs> Trying. So current, there are, of course, lots of current expeditions to the South Pole. Yes. But if you wanted to go there to the South Pole now on an expedition and you are a doctor, yes. you have to make some preparations before you go, mm. including what? A, you have to bring along a lot of sugar pills because people get bored and make up reasons to see the doctor just to have something to do. Mm. B, have your own appendix removed. Or C, stock up on wooden medical instruments because your hand sticks to scalpels in that cold. What's your gut telling you? I mean, I tell you what, what's your appendix telling you? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, doctor's like, wrong side, man. <laughs> it's like they didn't even go to medical school. I think it's the, uh, I think it's Bravo. I think it's the appendix thing. They're like that. So what's it going to be? Tom? I, I, I support you. I'm man. going. I'm going. To, uh, I'm going with the wood, bro. Oh, All right. Man. All right. That's fine. That's fine. You've already won. Right. So anyway, wood so Bashir, Bashir's go going with the appendix. Sultan is going with the wooden instruments, and, and the right, winner is Bashir. It was in fact. All right. Oh wait. <laughs> the oh, appendix. Man. In 1961. <laughs> Those in 1961, a Russian doctor was at the South Pole. His own appendix burst, and he had um, to remove it himself. Yeah. I'm sure he used wooden instruments. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> With metal tips. Bill, how did they do in our quiz? They've gone where few have gone before and got them all right. What? Yay! You did. All right. T- collectively, together. Oh, man. And guys, I've got to tell you, if you think these guys are funny here, you should see their TV show. Bashir and Sultan Saladin star in Southside. It's on HBO Max. Seasons one and season two is out now. Watch it. Bashir and Sultan. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Bravo. Speaking of getting punchy during the long, dark hours of winter, here's Paula Poundstone taking exception to a news item from last January, along with Cristela Alonzo and Mo Rocca. Olympics. Right. This week, a new line of cosmetic skincare face masks was released by blank. Uh, I have no idea. Oscar Mayer on Sunday, winter storms across the South forced the cancellation of over 2,000 blanks. Flights. Exactly right. Last week, residents in the town of Hamilton, Ontario, were shocked when they woke up to find that it was raining blanks. Ice. No, raining beans. A company called oh. Bunge is taking responsibility for the bean rain. Love it. Blaming a malfunction at one of their nearby factories. But honestly, this is what they get for building the factory on top of that famed geyser, Ol Frijoles. <laughs> <laughs> I love me some Tommy. Bill, how did Cristela do in our quiz? Well, she had six right for 12 more points, and she now has... 15, but Mo still has the lead with 16. Wait a minute. Did you say Oscar Mayer made I did. I said said Oscar Mayer. Yes. I wish there was an Oscar Mayer face mask. Exactly. (laughs) Why are Oscar Mayer making a face mask? I don't know. Why would you just say Oscar Mayer and then move on like it was nothing? Paula, Paula, have have you ever fried bologna? It's a perfect consistency for a mask. No, I'm not a big bologna person, but I did used to eat hot dogs, but I don't understand. There's no relationship between these two products. It would be like buying a Tesla sausage. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Isn't a Tesla sausage the name of his spacecraft? (laughs) When we come back, Chance the Rapper 
and some other stuff too, but seriously, when you have Chance the Rapper, do you need anything else? We'll be back in a minute with more Wait Wait Don't Tell Me from NPR. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait Wait Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here's your host, who's still convinced Easter eggs are laid by Easter bunnies, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. So this week, as spring springs upon us, we're enjoying some memories from the dark days of winter. First, from November, three of our panelists tell stories about somebody who loves something most consider unlovable. And no, it's not Pete Davidson. <laughs> hi, you are on. Wait, wait, don't tell me. Oh, hi. This is uh, Anna from Denver, Colorado. Oh, great. Well, how are things in Denver? Getting cold, I hope? Oh, yeah, they're getting a little colder, but there's still some nice days. That's good. Well, I like it when it gets cold in Denver because then it snows. You can go skiing. Do, do you do all those fun Colorado things that people do to enjoy themselves in that beautiful state? No. <laughs> you don't? You just don't? I got a dog. You got a dog? Yes. All right. That's a Colorado thing. I, I appreciate that. What, 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 what kind of dog did you get? He's a German Shepherd mix. And being a new dog owner, how did you find it? I mean, I know it allows you to like fit into Colorado society because you have to bring a dog everywhere. I love it. She's the best. She just does everything I want to do. And I happened to get her one of those uh, like vests, uh, not like a service vest, just like a regular like harness. But people seem to think it's a vest. So everywhere I go, they think she's a service dog. So I've actually managed to <laughs> bring her into places without people even questioning it. How awesome. <laughs> well, it's very nice to have you with us, Anna. You're going to play our game in which you must try to tell truth from fiction. Bill, what is Anna's topic? Let your freak flag fly. Our world is full of strange and wonderful things and also a bunch of really strange people. This week, we learned about a group of people who were proudly banding together and standing up for their own particular bizarre interest. Our panelists are going to tell you about it. Pick the one who's telling the truth. You'll win the wait waiter of your choice in your voicemail. Ready to give this a try? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right. <laughs> First, let's hear from Emmy Blotnick. An Indianapolis couple is fighting back after being banned from a hot lunch buffet where they were spotted serving themselves with their bare hands. As it turns out, there's more than a, a handful of people who prefer to eat this way, as evidenced by a recent uptick of similar incidents at salad bars and grocery store bulk bins nationwide, with some even calling themselves anti-tongers. Members of this growing movement believe that certain salad bar items simply cannot be picked up with tongs, such as cherry tomatoes, grapes, and peeled hard-boiled eggs, a category they call the untongables. Said a Milwaukee <laughs> woman no longer allowed in her local Whole Foods, personally, I reach into the bins because I don't like everything in the trail mix, and I shouldn't have to pay for things I don't like. Others argue that eschewing utensils provides extra dimension to mealtimes. You don't know sensory pleasure until you've sipped corn chowder through your own cupped hands, said a man covered in soup. The anti-tongers who use their hands to pick up the untongables. Your next story of a bunch of weirdos comes from Alonzo Bowden. Everybody is annoyed by a bird pooping on your freshly washed car hood. Everyone, that is, except a group of artists in Bakersfield, California, who practice a variety of surrealism using avian excretion, an art form they call doo-doo dada. It began when Dave Ralston's car got dive-bombed right after he left the car wash, 
and before he could get mad, he noticed the pattern on his hood looked like the Thomas Gainsborough's Blue Boy painting. That gave me an idea, he said. What if we encourage the birds to explore their artistic impulses? So every Sunday morning, Dave and a group of his friends meet outside the Bakersfield Farmer's Market to park their freshly washed cars under carefully selected trees and light poles and wait for inspiration to splatter on their hoods. The grand prize in their competition will be awarded to a copy of a painting so accurate a passerby can recognize it. So far, no one has won that. Lisa Mendez from the Bakersfield Times Art Section asked, What is the grand prize anyway? A car wash, of course, said Dave, provides a fresh canvas for next Sunday. <laughs> the Doo Dada movement, who use birds to make art your last story of freaks being loud and proud, comes from Paula Poundstone. There are things that just go together. Peanut butter and jelly, movies and popcorn, Captain and Tennille, toothbrushing and orange juice. Wait, what? Yes, there are people who love to follow brushing their teeth with an orange juice chaser. Casey, a 34-year-old in Northern Virginia, explains, For me, the minty, tangy, one-two punch creates such a unique, potent flavor. Many who enjoy the dentifrice slash citrus combo identify themselves on social networks. They don't claim to find it tasty so much as they appreciate the chemical reaction, perhaps the way a member of a polar bear club known for plunging into icy cold water doesn't really enjoy freezing their ass off but relishes the aftermath, the part where they're brought warm blankets while they cry and swear they'll never do that again. No word yet on the unlikely social group's meetups to eat oysters near septic tank cleanouts. It must be in the offing, though. <laughs> All right. So there's a group of people out there who are proudly claiming to enjoy something that other people just, well, don't. Was it from Emmy, the anti-Tongers who just enjoy using their bare hands <laughs> to pick up things from salad bars and bulk bins? From Alonzo Bowden, people who want birds to poop on their freshly washed cars for the sake of art? Or from Paula Poundstone, people who actually enjoy and advocate for drinking orange juice right after they brush their teeth. Which of these are the people who are coming out of the shadows at last? I have a feeling it's the third one, but you guys really like to talk about poop on this show, and <laughs> I want Alonzo to get the point, so I'm going to go with Alonzo's story. You picked Alonzo's story of the bird poop artist. Well, to bring you the correct answer, we spoke to someone who knows something about the real story. Some of them go out of their way to brush their teeth before drinking orange juice. They prefer it that way. That was Quinn Myers, a staff writer at Mel Magazine, and the person who first reported on this phenomenon. So as you yourself knew would happen... It was Paula who was telling the truth, so you did not win, but you earned a point for your guy, your man, Mr. Bowden, for telling his story so effectively. So congratulations, I guess. <laughs> Thank you, Anna. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Also in November, we had our first hometown show in front of a live audience in two years. And to celebrate, we were joined on stage at the Harris Theater in Chicago by one of Chicago's greatest stars, Chance the Rapper. Peter asked him about everything that had happened since we last met him. Way, way back when, in the distant days known as 2015. 
So you ha we had you on the show in 2015, the summer of 2015. You were well known, you were rising up in the hip hop music scene, and it was right before Coloring Book came out. Mm -hmm. Huge album, and so much has happened since then. So much has happened since then. Yeah. Have you ever looked around when, I don't know, when you're like playing in like this White Sox baseball stadium in a concert that you organized? or on whatever late night show, or hanging out with Beyonce, where you're like, this is crazy. Yeah, I think every once in a while, <laughs> every once in a while I'm like, this is, this is cool. <laughs> you know, there's no shell shock or anything. I'm just kinda living, living life. It is a dope life though, thank you. Yeah, no, that's not <laughs> Thanks bad. Thanks for reminding me yeah. how cool it is. You're, you're not gonna be that guy, no, it really doesn't matter, I just like to be home, and you know. No, it's cool, no, I it's imagine very it's a lot cool of fun. Being, yeah. yeah. You're also quite young, at least from my perspective. <laughs> Are you going to go to your 10-year high school reunion? So it was, that's so crazy that you just asked. It was, uh, it was this year. It was supposed to be. And, uh, and there just really hasn't been any organizing around it that really? I know of. I also wasn't super popular when I was in high school, so there's a chance that they already did one and I didn't get invited. Really? Just <laughs> being honest. Really? You yeah. honestly believe that your high school class was like, we're holding a reunion, don't tell that Yeah, literally guy. like it's like a secret. <laughs> I don't mean that I wasn't popular, like they, you know, would forget to tell me, but like they would intentionally uh, be well, like, for, all right. So, I, so hold, hold on, so are you telling me there's a conspiracy to keep you away from your 10-year high school reunion? There's probably some people I graduated with here right now Texting in a group chat going, he knows, because <laughs> <laughs> they enjoy me in other spaces. If I'm performing, they always come, but. Uh, <laughs> we, we saw you, I saw you, in an at least to me, an unexpected place in the photographs of the Chicago Sky when they won the WNBA yeah. championship. There you were on the court with the team. And yeah. I was like, wow, how'd you get around security? Man, you know what? What's funny is like, I do look at some of the pictures <laughs> from the sky, from like their entire, like that, that end of that series and the parade. And I'm like, I probably should have fell back a little bit. <laughs> but I was so excited, you know? Because I saw you there and I was like, oh, I didn't know to like Chance like own the team. And they're like, no, no, he's just really into it. Yeah. And then I heard that you said that in celebration of the, of the Sky's championship that you were going to get a Chicago Sky tattoo. Mm -hmm. Did you do it? Yes. You did! <laughs> Chance the Rapper, man of his word. <laughs> I'm sorry, but the next question has to be, where is it? <sighs> <laughs> that is a very personal question. It is. But... I will entertain it. <laughs> I got the tattoo on my right forearm. Right forearm, right, right. below the bow. Right, that's cool. Yeah. And is it like the logo of the team? Nah, I feel like I don't, it's so crazy that you just got me to say that, because I got the tattoo uh, right after the rally. Uh, a bunch of the, the players got tattoos too, we all got tattoos. Mm -hmm. Only my second tattoo that wow. I ever got. Wow. And that's the reason why I was keeping it under wraps, because I, I, I the reason why I was going to get the tattoo, so I started going, I think it was, it was the round right before the finals, and there was a game that they had to, had to win in the finals that would put them in a position to, to clinch the finals in the final round. So I had tweeted out because there were people that had doubts, so I was like, hey, when they win, I'm going to get 
a tattoo. Uh, shortly after that, I, I hit up my tattoo artist and uh, had one of my best friends come over to my crib right after they won this, uh, this non-championship game. Right. And, uh, and we talked for a long time. And, and shortly after that, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do this. This makes no sense. I'm not going to get this tattoo. <laughs> so, so I escorted him out of my house. The tattoo artist. The tattoo said, artist. Thank you for your time. <laughs> no, my friend got but to not stay, today. but yeah, but the yeah, tattoo yeah. artist had to Thank go. And then, <laughs> Take your ink and go, sir. Yeah. And I was like, I could get this tattoo at any time. I didn't say when I was going to get the tattoo. Right, I right, right. I would get the tattoo. You're hedging. You're yeah. hedging at this point. So I, I basically, uh, a couple days later, they won the finals. Um, and I, you know, I went and celebrated with them that night. We went out and got drunk, and that's when all the players are like, I'm getting my tattoo here. Where are you getting your tattoo at? And I was like, I want tattoo. And, uh, and so we all turned up. We had a great time. Uh, it was a crazy night. And then a couple days later, I was still, you know, still, still had champagne all throughout my body. Right. And, uh, but I had to make it to the rally because they wanted me to come to the rally. So I come to the rally and we end up, you know, drinking again. And this long sounds, story this short, sounds like the hangover part five. It's insane, actually, <laughs> how it ended up happening. But I'm just going to end the story there because I'm, I'm at this point, I'm rambling. The point that I was trying to make was I didn't really want to make a big deal out of it after I got the tattoo because it's like, hey, I got the tattoo. They got tattoos. We got tattoos. We don't have to ever talk about it again. But I don't like lying. So when you asked me, I was like, I might as well say yeah. it. Yeah. It's a good story, though. You're a man of your word. It's, well, it's too that. late. Five million people know now. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Well, Chance, we, in fact, love to talk to you whenever you choose to come by, but this time we've asked you here to play a game we're calling Chance Meet Community Chest. We assume, Chance, <laughs> that you were named after one of the card decks of Monopoly. Yes. The other being Community Chest, you know, because Community Chest, the rapper, doesn't really fly. So we decided, based on that connection, to ask you three questions about the classic board game Monopoly. Get two right. You will win our prize for one of our listeners, Bill. Who is Chance the Rapper playing for? Anna Johnson of Chicago, Illinois. Here is your first question. The game uh, during World War II had a very big burst of popularity with sets being sent from home to allied prisoners of war. Why? A, to remind them of the capitalist system they were fighting for. <laughs> B, because nothing makes a year in prison camp feel short in comparison <laughs> than a game of Monopoly. Or C, because maps, compasses, and other escape tools were hidden inside. I'm going to go with C. I think it's the smuggling. Is yeah, it was. They right. smuggled in escape tools. I don't know if it worked. It would be really sad if the prisoners were like, yeah, yeah, we dug a tunnel, but, you know, we haven't finished the game yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. Uh, Monopoly is almost as famous for the fights it causes uh, as it is for anything else. So if you plan on playing this holiday, be sure to take advantage of what helpful resource for Monopoly players? A, an official 1-800 hotline where a mediator will help settle rules disputes. <laughs> B, a small vial containing the cold virus so you can catch it and sit the game out. <laughs> C, soft bumpers for the edges of the board so that when you throw it in anger, it will not hurt anyone or damage the furniture. <laughs> As I recall, the, the corners are extremely sharp. They are. <laughs> I, think, I think it's A. You think I'm it's gonna, A? I believe that there's 800 line. Yeah. I think it's That's A. That's what it is. There's it's an 800 A? line. They set it up. You call up. They can have, like, ink 
packets for people who steal Monopoly money. There's always, <laughs> there's always that one cousin that steals. They didn't have ink packs. Like, that oh, up. man. Last question. There have been dozens of different versions of Monopoly, of course, but maybe the worst version of Monopoly was which of these? Communist Monopoly. <laughs> B, longest game ever Monopoly, designed to take six hours or more to play. Or C, post-apocalypse Monopoly, in which instead of buying or trading properties, you fight for them with knives. I want to go with the longest game one. But then you said it's only six and a half hours. Six hours. Which doesn't sound that much longer than a regular game of That's Monopoly, what I was now thinking. that I mention it. But. No, Monopoly takes time. Uh, uh, the six, six, six hour one. You're right. Let's again. go! Yes! In this game, it doesn't end till somebody owns all the properties and there's twice as many of them. Bill, how did Chance the Rapper do in our quiz? Product of Chicago Public Schools, Chance the Rapper won all three! Chance the Rapper is a Grammy-winning artist, and he is the founder of Social Works, a youth empowerment charity. More information at socialworkschai.org. Chance the Rapper, thank you so much for coming. Thank you, man. You are the pride of Chicago. Chance the Rapper, everybody, give it up. When we come back, a groundbreaking indie musician and a famous pro hockey player. So pretty much something for everybody, right? That's when we return with more Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. Ready for a new ride but not sure where to start? Try the tool designed to make car shopping and financing easier. With Capital One Auto Navigator, you can find a car and get pre-qualified instantly. Then, see your real rate and monthly payment without impacting your credit score. It's so simple, you might feel like you're taking the easy way out. That's because you are. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Terms and condition apply. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash Autonavigator. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here's your host, a man who is too impatient to compost, so he just throws eggshells onto the dirt and then goes to Whole Foods. Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. And while Bill finishes putting sunscreen on my back in anticipation of NPR's beach volleyball season, we will review what happened back in the dark days of winter. Almost done, Peter. Michelle Zahner performs music under the name Japanese Breakfast and last year wrote a memoir, Crying in H-Mart. When she joined us in April of last year, Peter asked her how she got started. You know, I just never, this was started as a sort of side project. I was in another band called Little Big League, and I had a Tumblr that I would um, upload photos uh, of, like, animated food gifts um, with this, these, like, side project demos. And one of them was a photo of Japanese breakfast. And I just called um, the project that on a whim, not thinking that this would ever take off. Well, I'm, I'm, I want to talk about your music first. I have heard... I've been listening to your music all week. I've been enjoying it. I've heard it described as shoegaze music. 
And I am told by my younger associates that that is a real term. It is a real term, I guess, because uh, shoegazers use a lot of guitar pedals. So they're frequently looking at their shoes uh, to see what they're stepping on and what, what sound it will create. I just, oh, I just thought it was you, that you were very shy. Uh, it could be that, too. I feel like uh, most shoegaze bands are probably a little bit uh, introverted. And, and, and part of your act of Japanese breakfast is a, is a gentleman who is your husband. Yes, the guitar player is my is my husband, who's who's also right. mentioned in the book. I think it's sweet when couples still gaze at each other's shoes. I think that's <laughs> cute, even after marriage. That's very adorable. That's adorable. Yeah. Many of your songs are about yourself and your feelings, and even about your husband, right? That is true. Yes. So, so you ask your husband to stand there and play guitar while you sing about him. Uh, that is that is correct. Yes. I mean, do you ever have like songs like you know, if if you if you leave your laundry lying around, I don't know what I'll do, I'll do, I'll do <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, not really. No, it's a, it's a little more it's a little more threatening, I guess. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you about your book, which I've been reading and is remarkable and moving and and tragic in uh, resonates on a bunch of levels, but mainly, it made me very hungry. <laughs> Your book is called Crying in H-Mart. Could you describe it for the listeners? Well, the title comes from uh, this Korean groceries chain called H-Mart. And my mom passed away in 2014 uh, from a very aggressive battle with um, a GI cancer. And I've, I'm mixed race. I'm half Korean. And uh, my mother was Korean. And I found myself um, oddly gravitating towards... Uh, cooking Korean food in the wake of her loss. And it was a way for me to sort of, I guess, like excavate memories that were good. It was also this way that I felt like I was sort of preserving that part of my culture that had always felt like this kind of innate part of me that that felt at risk in this in this new right. way. Um, and, and, and you do an amazing job in the book of conjuring your early childhood and also of like really getting into this food culture of Korea, which people aren't as familiar with in America as they should be. Um, and you also describe, there's a scene early on in, in the early chapters about going over to Korea with your mother when you were young and, and, and you prove to the family that you can eat anything by eating live octopus. Is that a true story? It is. It, it tastes really good. It's very briny and uh, fresh. <laughs> yeah, I would hope so. But isn't it like wriggling around? Uh, yeah, I mean, they take a live octopus and they sever the tentacles so that's so fresh that it's like still pulsing. Uh, I feel like Korean cult, like food culture, they they really appreciate the extremes. Like they like food to be really vibrant and really spicy and, and um, anything that's supposed to be hot is like scalding. Anything that's supposed to be cold is served with um, ice and uh, everything that is supposed to be fresh is very fresh. <laughs> so you have a, you have a, a song called Jimmy Fallon Big, which is about like hitting it so big <laughs> that you get to be on Jimmy Fallon. And you actually sang that on Jimmy Fallon. What was that like? Uh, it was wild. Um, yeah, I wrote it about my old bass player in, in the band Little Big League who who left our band to go play in another band to be Jimmy Fallon Big. Um, and they actually never played Jimmy Fallon. They only played Seth Meyers. And then uh, three years later, he rejoined our band and, and we became uh, Jimmy Fallon Big together. Oh, really? So yeah. you, were, you were sort of singing it. You were doing a song, making fun of him. Yes. I'm going to be Jimmy Fallon <laughs> Big. And because now, because he had been wise enough to rejoin you, you actually got to be in Jimmy Fallon. And probably just rough on poor Seth Meyers' feelings when he saw that. <laughs> he wanted to be Jimmy Fallon big. He only played Seth Meyers. God. 
Well, Michelle Zauner, we are delighted to talk to you. We have invited you here to play a game we are calling The Breakfast of Champions. You perform as Japanese breakfast. We thought we'd ask you about the breakfast of champions. Answer two out of three questions about Wheaties breakfast cereal. You'll win our prize for one of our listeners, the voice of their choice on their voicemail. Bill, who is Michelle Zauner playing for? Ruth Benson of New York, New York. All right, so here we go. Now, one reason that Wheaties is considered the breakfast of champions is that it is fortified with vitamins and minerals that can sometimes have weird side effects, though like which of these? A, Wheaties has so much iron in it, you can lift up the flakes with a magnet. B, you cannot feed it to hamsters or other small mammals because it might induce cardiac arrest in animals that size. Or C, some Wheaties eaters report becoming so strong they crush their spoons in their hands. B. You're going to go for B, that you cannot feed Wheaties to hamsters, gerbils, other small mammals of that kind because it will pop their little hearts like grapes. <laughs> yes. No, actually it was A. It has so much, no! it has so much iron in it. <laughs> this is apparently true of other fortified cereals that you can actually pick it up with a strong magnet. But don't worry. Oh, you still have two more chances horrifying. here, Michelle. This is, this is not a concern. Now, Wheaties has made a claim to be responsible for one of these historical events, and they might be right. Which is it? Is Wheaties responsible for A, man landing on the moon, B, the presidency of Ronald Reagan, or C, the invasion of Kosovo by Serbia? Oh, my God. Uh, B? B, yes. The presidency of Ronald Reagan. All right, you have one more chance. If you get this right, you win. Oh, God. Wheaties is... <laughs> You've got this. Wheaties is nowhere near as popular as it once was, which is sad because it created so many innovations in the breakfast cereal space, such as which of these? A, they were the first cereal to suggest that people pour milk on it rather than the usual beer. B, <laughs> Frosted Flakes stole Tony the Tiger from Wheaties' Champy the Lion, which was even voiced by the same person, or C, they invented the term erectile dysfunction, which they then suggested Wheaties could cure. B? <laughs> You're going to go for B, that Frosted Flakes stole Tony the Tiger? You're right. What? Okay, good. I mean, I don't know why I'm surprised, because C and A are, are pretty out there. Yeah. I, <laughs> I can't imagine it was either of those. So I'm, I'm I, I am pretty sure that over the years, people have, in fact, poured beer on their breakfast cereal, but they're never supposed to. Bill, how did Michelle Zauner do in our quiz? Michelle, one, two out of three. Michelle, you ought to be on a box of Wheaties. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right. Yay, Michelle. I'm Wheaties big. You are. You are. Michelle Zauner is the singer-songwriter behind Japanese Breakfast. Her new album, Jubilee, is out June 4th, and her new memoir, Crying in H Mart, will be available on April 20th. It's remarkable and moving and will make you hungry. Michelle Zauner, thank you so much for joining us on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you so much for having me. Nice to meet you all. Thank you. Bye, Take Michelle. care, Michelle. Bye-bye. Bye, bye. guys. Finally, while Peter was away in October of last year, guest host Nagin Farsad was able to indulge her first love and her greatest enthusiasm professional hockey. New Jersey Devils star P.K. Subban has won the Norris Trophy as the NHL's top defender. He's been the league's top scoring defenseman, and he won an Olympic gold medal for Canada in Sochi. But most importantly, he is one of the top three Subban brothers in professional hockey. So <laughs> I let's start with this. I love this detail that you also have brothers who have played in the NHL, and you even 
faced your brother Malcolm for the first time in a 2017 game. And like, I hate to be the one to say it, but your brother won that game. So like (laughs) my question, my first question to you is how was Canadian Thanksgiving that year? Well, first of all, uh, thank you for the introduction. Um, (laughs) You didn't, you didn't have to throw all of that in there, but I, I appreciate it. Um, Secondly, on the point of my brother beating me, um, it's probably deservingly so. I mean, the amount of times that I've plugged out gaming consoles or I've teased them, I've teased them about beating them in, in, in NHL or in PlayStation. I mean, that's happened hundreds and hundreds of times. So, uh, you know what? I think maybe, maybe you can say I got what I deserve, you know, on that night, but, um, Um, so, okay. I'm going to ask you a really, really critical question. Uh, you are, um, on the cover of the NHL or you were on the cover of the NHL video game. Yep. Uh, have you ever played the video game as yourself? Uh, no, you know, I, I actually stopped. No, I'm being honest. Too meta. I I stopped (laughs) playing video games like a long time ago. You know, I think when I really put the video games to rest was when I was actually on the cover in 2019. I was like, (laughs) like, I was just like, honestly, I'm, that was so exciting. Like the Norris trophy was really, really cool. Being on the cover of NHL 19 for me was like, like, I was like, wow. Um, but how did it, it turn was, you off to playing yeah. video games well, forever? Like, well, beat that, I, Malcolm. He <laughs> beat your brother let's, forever. Let's, let's <laughs> go there, there it, it is. Let, let, let's go through it. You know, being a pro hockey player, having your own foundation. I have so many different things that eat up my time. I really don't have time to sit down and play video games. Like, I, I wish I did. But, like, when I have my free time, I just want to kick it chill like relax do nothing like turn my brain off you know (laughs) oh my god is it the height of narcissism that if i was in the nhl video game i would be playing it all the time and as myself it's one of those things right like you know before you have it you're like oh i do this and then once you're there you're just like i'm good you know what i mean (laughs) so i'm good well, PK, we will we will never know. We will never know about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, PK Subban, we have asked you here to play a game that we're calling That's Icing. Delicious icing. <laughs> so Icing is bad when you're a hockey player, but icing is fantastic when you're a baker. So we're going to ask you three questions about bakeries. Get two out of three right, and you'll win a prize for one of our listeners. Bill, who is P.K. Subban playing for? Sarah Page of Las Vegas, Nevada. Okay, are you ready? Okay. P.K., really, really turn your brain off for this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. The reality show Cake Boss is famous for the intricate icing and decoration on their cakes. They made a cake version of Wrigley Field for the park's 100th birthday that was 25 square feet and weighed 400 pounds. But according to the Chicago Tribune, how did it taste? A, it was, quote, the perfect pairing for a cup of warm old style. (laughs) B, it was, quote, dry and chewier than a catcher's mitt. Or C, we don't know, the cake was tossed in a dumpster without anyone eating a single bite. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with A. Um, I don't know. Did you have another instinct that maybe wasn't A? <laughs> C. A C. C. 
see. Oh my gosh, that's right. It's totally C. <laughs> Wait, but hold on. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. How does no one, not one person tried the cake? Yeah, nobody ever ate it. I'm disappointed. I would have definitely grabbed a handful of that just to see what was up. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the next question. So a bakery in Germany was told by the courts to stop making the cookies they'd been selling online for 20 years. But why? Was it A, the icing on them was so colorful and cheerful that the cookies were, quote, un-German? Was it B, <laughs> there was no decoration on them at all, so they couldn't legally be called cookies? Or was it C, they were mostly made of sawdust? I'm going to go with A. <laughs> <laughs> so you think that the German are going to be on the record that they don't like colorful and cheerful stuff? And say they've gone on the record with worse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm just joking. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say B. That's my final answer. Right or wrong, I'm going with B. And by and by final, did you mean you were gonna give it like one more shot though? Final. What I meant was yeah, C. I'm probably gonna go with C when it's all said. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Suman, you're so good at this game because it is C. Yes, it's totally C. The, the court didn't buy the argument that sawdust is a vegetable product. Okay, let's move on to your final question. Nikola Tesla has an important place in bakery history, though not many people know about it. What is it? Was it A, he was a guest at the first ever birthday party to have a stripper pop out of a cake? <laughs> B, he invented the apple fritter. Or C, a baker's dozen is 13 because of a feud he had with Thomas Edison over how many things were in a dozen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with B. Um, what if you, what if you minus B by one? Where would you land? <laughs> oh, A. It's A, right? That's right. Was the answer is A. Oh, my God. He was a guest. I promise I'm not cheating. I, I promise I'm not cheating. I just, I couldn't. This guy it's, knows his but baking the stuff. Is A, he was a guest at the first ever birthday party to have a stripper pop out of a cake. So, oh like, nobody had ever thought of that before. She wasn't supposed to be in there. She accidentally got baked in the cake. <laughs> popped out. And then someone was like, we should keep doing this every yeah. time we have a bachelor party. Dad, I'll tell you what, that rules. Uh, yeah. Tesla. I know Tesla. it's a mistake. They're all chanting his name. <laughs> I love that Tesla was actually the first tech bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, how did PK Zuban do on our quiz? Well, using the principle of try and try again, we're going to say that PK is a winner. Thank you, PK. Good job. P.K. Subban is an Olympic gold medal winning hockey player who currently plays defense for the New Jersey Devils. P.K. Subban, thank you so much for joining us on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you, guys. You guys are awesome. Let's do this again. You're super fun. Thank you. That was, that awesome. was awesome. That's it for our spring break edition. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions, Doug Berman, Benevolent Overlord. Philip Gotika writes our limericks. Our public address announcer is Paul Friedman. Our production assistant is Sophie Hernandez Simeonidis. 
B.J. Liederman composed our theme. Our program is produced by Jennifer Mills, Miles Dornboss, Lillian King, and Nancy Seichow. Our body shot coordinator is Peter Gwynn. Technical direction is from Lorna White. Our business and ops manager is Colin Miller. Our production manager is Robert Newhouse. Our senior producer is Ian Chillog. And the executive producer of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is Mike Danforth. Thanks to everybody you heard this week, all of our panelists, all our guests. Of course, Bill Curtis. And thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Peter Sagal. We'll be back with you next week. This is NPR.